Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Carrie. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 104. Today we'll be discussing how to energize those upper elementary students for the second half of the school year. We'll also share highs and lows from our teaching week, discuss some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment, offer a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, and in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in or out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. All right, so before we jump into our highs and lows, we just have a couple of things to mention. First of all, thanks everyone for being patient with us while we took a break over the holidays, although I'm sure you didn't miss us. You were busy having your holiday time too. Yeah, it was a much needed break for everybody. Yeah, we enjoyed our family time and things that we were doing. So yeah, just wanted to say thanks and we're happy to be back. So yay, here we go. Yay. Back on happy us. 2022. Yeah. Happy New Year, everybody. Um, we also want to mention that Tanya and I have a couple of uh, presentations coming up at conferences that we just wanted to give a mention to. So if you happen to be attending one of those conferences, definitely swing by and say hello. So coming up soon here in Colorado, we have the Colorado Music Educators Association State Conference. And Tanya and I are going to be presenting on behalf of Rocky, which is the regional organization of Colorado Kodai educators. Um, we are presenting a session called Breaking the Kodai Norm, Engaging Upper Elementary, which guess what happens to be the, the topic of this podcast today. But we'll obviously do things differently for an in-person conference than we will for a podcast. Yeah. Now, so this is actually what we're talking about today. We're going to mention some things that we're also going to mention in our session, but they're kind of very different. Oh, it's yeah, it's very yeah. different. So don't let the titles confuse you. But yes. um, anyways, we're very excited to be presenting there on behalf of Rocky. So thank you, Rocky, for inviting us to do that. Um, the time and date of our specific presentation is Friday, January 28th. Um, we are in 8 a.m. session. So grab your cup of coffee and come and join and us. Join us. <laughs> and that is, of course, is uh, if you're in Colorado, uh, CMEA is at the Broadmoor Hotel in beautiful Colorado Springs, and um, we would love to see you there. I haven't been to CMEA or the Broadmoor for quite a while, and it'll be such a wonderful retreat. Yes, we're um, excited. And learning, heavy-duty learning time. Of course. So, yeah. And what else, Tanya, do we have? Oh, well, we also want to mention that OAK, the Organization of American Kodai Educators, 2022, uh, conference that is happening in Pittsburgh uh, from March 3rd to the 6th, we will be presenting a session together called Work Smarter, Not Harder, Bridging Musical Concepts Through Song Literature. And this is where we're going to be talking about um, songs that you can do double duty with. Um, mm -hmm. And it's going to be a little bit different. Well, it's going to be a lot different from the CMEA session. And it's, you know, a different audience. Um, it's probably going to be a lot more um, detailed and Kodai specific. Yeah. Yeah. Pedagogically things. What can you do with these songs in multiple grades and things yeah. like that? And we don't know the exact time and date of that because the schedule hasn't been released. So we'll let you know um, when that happens. But if you haven't registered for Oak yet, definitely, if you're listening to this in real time, I think the early bird registration is coming up real soon. And yeah, then it's mid-January. 
So, um, you know, we've talked about the Oak Conference before, how amazing it is that it's a conference that unless something major is going on in my life, personally or professionally, I'm going to be there, even though, yes, it's money and it's traveling. There is just so much to get out of that national conference, the best of the best as far as presenters go. And I'm just always blown away by what I learn and experience when I go to Oak Conferences. So definitely consider going if you haven't already registered look into that immediately um oak.org oake.org um for more information yes worth every penny worth all your time totally all right so let's talk about highs and lows okay so far. yeah <laughs> um so we were three days back we started on a wednesday with our students so we've had wednesday thursday friday so in just those short three days tanya of 2022 you want to share a high or a low? I do, but I kind of want to just get, um, be clear about where we are as a district. Carrie and I teach in the same district. Yeah. And as far as COVID protocols go, um, we are still in person with classes. Um, we are masked 100%, 100%. I don't know of, well, at the schools that I teach, and I teach at two schools and so does Carrie, um, there's not any exemptions for masking. So most of the district is, well, all of the district is masked um, and using hand sanitizer. We're doing all those things. The distancing is not as much as it was before. That hasn't been a push um, as far as like when exposure happens. I think that they, well, I know that they just changed the protocol that you um, have to be quarantined for five days instead of the longer time period. And from going forward, our district has said that they will look at individual schools, not whole district, but we're in a very large district. Right. We've got 90, I think it's 92 or 93 elementary schools in our district. We've got like 20 something middle schools and as many high schools. So it's a very large district. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense for the entire district to go online because some schools are going, could be affected more than others. In fact, Carrie and I just had this conversation about how I have not seen, the school that I was in this week, I have not seen, I, I've seen most of my students. There's been like one or two absences from each class, but that's not out of the ordinary just for normal non-COVID times. But Carrie has seen, what did you say? Like 30 two percent of your classes showed up for this week well i was actually going to talk about that for my high oh i'm so sorry <laughs> um because that was also weather related but specifically covid related um i mean again we've only had three short days but i'm looking at mm, probably a quarter of our students are absent every day and i think most of those are covid related not necessarily the student being sick but maybe an immediate family member being sick or waiting for testing and I'm sure it's a problem everywhere, but I know here in Colorado that when you go to get tested, the turnaround time they're saying is like three to five days. So even right. if you're just showing symptoms and you're getting tested, you still have to stay out of school for basically a week. So right. that's an issue too. But um, yeah, that's where we're at for sure. Yeah. So I just wanted to just put that out there because I know everything that we talk about, if you're listening to this in January or in, you know, any of the months in winter, spring of 2022, you're probably thinking everything is through the context of this lens of like, okay, well, what is COVID? How does that affect what right. we're doing in our classes? Because 
that's that's big that's huge yeah and we're still in a pandemic for sure um and i know the perspective that we need to have is that it's different everywhere you go every state has different things going on with mask mandates every district every school and even every class within that so it just changes from day to day but right now um i am having students we we circle we face each other we do take hands we do sanitize a lot we are using instruments we are sharing instruments we are sanitizing a lot and so this is what i'm doing my principals are aware of how we're operating the music room and frankly um i think that i'm a little bit more um covid protocols than many of the teachers in each building not to criticize them i'm just saying that i think that um the atmosphere that i am in in both of my schools is that we definitely are masked we definitely make sure kids wear them all the time um but yeah i'm doing a little bit more than i think, I think a lot of classrooms yeah. are there's a different Just because level. we share so much. Exactly. There's a different level of comfort for a classroom teacher who sees the same group of kids all day, every day than right. us when our classes are literally revolving doors of students and we right. see everybody or. And they're all touching the yeah, same thing. Exactly. Right. So yeah. we, we think of things differently and that's just the way the way it is. Yeah. So all of that to say, OK, my high and my higher low for the week, um, really quick and thinking about COVID things, I just wanted to give, uh, this is kind of a low, but kind of also just to share, you know, the book and the song Rizzledy Rosaldy, Mao, 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 right? Yeah. The John Fire Robin, wonderful, beautiful, illustrated picture book of Rizzledy Rosaldy. So I read that to third graders just yesterday. And that was not a great choice because I just, I, I don't know why I didn't think about this. The whole song and the book are like about, you know, I married my wife in the month of June and um, there's this implication that she hasn't had to do much. Uh, I carried her off in a silver spoon, right? She combed her hair, but once a year, she um, she churned the butter like with a, her foot, like she used place. in an old boot and for a dasher, which is what you use to churn the butter, she used her foot. like all of these um lyrics and pictures within our <laughs> pandemic setting don't sit well it's not amusing oh i hadn't thought of that i but... know well i mean the kids were like aghast not not horribly so but it was just like like the because of like the clean cleanliness yes, issues exactly. i mean that's kind of the joke of the book but that's I guess, the whole yeah. joke of the book is it's that okay fun. here's I mean, this wife yeah, and for a broom, she used a chair, which is just weird. The kids were like, what is this? What is going on in this book? I know. And then even myself, and here's the thing, like, I know this song, I know this book, I've used it a lot before. I really was just like, okay, I really want to make sure I read a song tale to third graders today. And oh, there's Rosalie Rosity. I love singing that song, bam. And I, so I haven't read it in COVID times to a group of students until now. And then while doing that, I was like, oh wow yeah not a good choice oh that's interesting okay so anyway just a little heads up i'd be interested to know if anybody else has had this experience maybe it was just my students um but i mean there's so many there's so many song tales there's so many books i could make a different choice it was just it, it didn't have the effect that it would have in non-covid times it's like oh this is funny this is a fun song oh how cute it's not cute right now yeah yeah 
Yeah. That's so I guess that could be my low. And that really, I was going to go high and talk about how um, grand right left, which I know some of you are thinking, oh, grand right and left, you're touching hands. Yeah, we're touching hands and sanitizing. Um, so I did a grand right and left with my second graders yesterday. And it's interesting because I usually do grand right and left with very late second grade and into third grade. Uh -huh. Right. Um, and I, I do it, I teach it initially with the song bingo, but not the bingo that most people know, but the one that goes, there was a black dog sat on the back porch and bingo was his name, right? And then we sing B-I-N-G-O, 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 and bingo was his name, oh. And then you say B-I-N-G-O. And the idea is the grand right and left happens on the letters B-I-N-G-O, right? Yes. Um, and so I like this version of grand right and left because it's shorter and it's not as though Traditionally, grand right and left, you start with your partner and you take hands and you go all the way around the circle till you get back to until you get back to your first partner. Right. Right. But I like this because it's just on the letters. Sure. So um, I just had a wild hair because with second grade, I wanted to do a singing game. It's not for any pedagogical purposes right now. Um, and I was looking at um, a student of my a former Kodai student was talking about grand right and left and like wow, it's really hard to teach. And I was thinking about, oh yeah, this is how I used to teach it. And I've seen it before and I haven't done it in a long time because of COVID. Let's see how this works. Cause I wanted to do the singing game. So um, I did this with second grade Friday afternoon, last class of the day. And it went wonderfully and they got it. And I was just so pleased because the process I used um, was that I, I labeled their hands. I put little, um, ink dots. Usually I do stamps. Didn't have any stamps. I usually, I took an expo marker and I just gave them a dot, either a red dot or a blue dot, red dots for counterclockwise, blue dots for clockwise. And I had blue dots sit down right in the circle while the red dots traveled around and then vice versa. And then we put it together and it just, they did it. And I don't know if it was them because they're just awesome. Or maybe I finally found a process that just works really well the first time, but that was my high because they did beautifully. And um, I have a video, maybe I'll blur everybody and put it out there just for Yeah, fun. you should. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's awesome. a lot of stuff from me. Um, three days. It's funny how you go back for three days. And one of those days was a late start day because of snow. And yeah. I still feel like you feel like, wow, I've never left, right? right? After those three days of school, like we're back in it. We're back in it totally. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue to my, to my, um, low slash high. Um, <laughs> so yeah, as Tanya mentioned in our district, we do late start if the weather is like not bad enough to totally cancel school. Um, but the roads are just bad enough that morning commuting and bus riding, and it was just cold. It was really, it was really so cold. cold. Yes. Um, so yeah, we did a late start day. Now my homeschool where I teach, um, for a variety of reasons that I won't really go into. Um, and it's not a, it's not a judgment. It's just the way that it is <laughs> that oftentimes on these late start days, our families are not able to, or will not bring their kids to school late. They just will keep them home. And our district has the stance that if you as a parent decide you do not feel safe sending your kids to school, then you keep them home and it's an excused absence and no questions. So, um, you know, around the district, I hear a lot of teachers talking about, you know, oh yeah, I was missing, you know, 
so many of my kids that day. Um, when we when all, all was said and done between the late start and like I mentioned earlier, the COVID related absences, we were at, I think the official number was 38% attendance at our oh school, which we, we knew going into it. It's just one of those things. So that's one of those days where you, you scrap the lesson you were going to do and you do something different. Right. And I mentioned this on Instagram. So if you follow us there and on Facebook, I mentioned it there too. But what I ended up doing was because the schedule was different because we did um, 30 minute classes to shrink up the day, so to speak normally my first and second graders um they either come to music from lunch or i take them to lunch from music so we haven't been doing a lot of technology because we do have one-to-one ipads um for primary students in my school and then chromebooks for older students and i have been doing a lot of stuff on chromebooks with older students but i haven't been doing as much with primary because of the fact i don't want to deal with them having to go back to class to put their ipad away before or after lunch and recess and all that and i thought oh well here's a great opportunity. We have a short little class, smaller amount of students. I'm just going to get them on Chrome Music Lab. Like I haven't guided them through Chrome Music Lab at all. So I did that with um, first, second, and I also did it with the kindergartners. <laughs> they brought their iPads. I was able to get them on Chrome Music Lab. And then I was like, okay, here is SongMaker. We're going to do five minutes of SongMaker. And I kind of showed them how that goes. And they did five minutes of that. And then I had them pause. And then, all right, let's hit this little back arrow. And now let's go to the rhythm maker with the little animals, you know, hitting the little drums and instruments. Yeah. So I, I showed them my favorites, which are song maker, the rhythm, it's called rhythm maker. I always forget what it's called. Um, and then Kendinsky, which is where you draw the, the pictures and then it makes the sounds. So those are my three favorites. But then of course, the last, oh. you know, 10 minutes, I said, now look at all these other ones, explore what you want. And yes, they love the oscillators. Did you have, yeah. Did you have headphones? No, but there are only like five kids in each class. Oh, you're right. So my rule with Chrome Music Lab is, well, I try to have them have headphones. And I'm like, if you're going to do the oscillator, you have to have headphones. Yeah. And I I see that. Yes. Yeah. It's very noisy. And then also the voice spinner one, that one gets really out of hand too. Um, But my whole point is like, we went so crazy with the technology because we had to, right? When we were doing like fully online learning and really truly distancing and not taking hands. And, you know, we did so much with online learning and Seesaw. And and I used Chrome Music Lab a lot where this year it was like cold turkey, like especially with these primary kids where we did nothing and I was just reminded like how much they love it and how engaging it is and then they were just having so much fun and making music and being creative and just these little kiddos were like this is so fun this is so fun they just couldn't get over it they were so 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 pleased and so happy um so yeah I know Chrome Music Lab is nothing new but if you're like me and you've been avoiding technology don't be afraid to get it back out again because they love it they absolutely love it that's so cool. And you're so right. It's like feast or famine. It's we, yeah. we got so heavy into all of the tech stuff and it was wonderful to have all of that. And I feel like I just ha- was, it was the tip of the iceberg for so many things because I never really got into in deep with any big projects with that. Because then when we were back in person, I'm like, well, now we need to like make music as a community and we need to remember what it's like to make music together and to play together. And I want to emphasize that, but yeah, now we should be having some kind of balance. And I, I haven't found that happy medium yet. Yeah, It's hard to find, but yeah, it can be there.
And now time for our main theme, energizing your older students for the second half of the school year. All right, so this is a topic that I feel never gets old because students are changing all the time. And we really want to, I know I do as a music teacher, and I'm sure I know Gary feels the same way, is that we really wanna make sure that we are um, flexing what the students need, specifically those students, um, and balancing with that with our long range plans, um, what's in the curriculum that is guided by our district. Like, I think, I feel like I've been at both extremes. Like I, I definitely earlier in my career had this, like, this is the plan. We will not veer from the plan. Here are my long range plans. If it's Tuesday in April, we are doing this. Right. And, um, then I, you know, when you bend yourself all out of shape and the kids aren't enjoying, enjoying things, you realize that that's not always going to be successful. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you are teaching the content, it doesn't mean they're learning it if they're not in a place to do that. Uh, I've also been to the other extreme where I've been like, well, what do you guys want? What do the students want to do? Let's let them guide the learning, which I really believe in to a point, right? Because I am the music teacher in the room and I do think it's my responsibility to guide the learning, right? And I have a lot more experience in music and education that I'm, uh, that's my job. I should yeah. be doing that, right? Well, and so, even if you, sorry, I'm just gonna interject. No, even please. if you ask the students, like as a class, like, you know, kind of what do you wanna do? What, what are kind of your musical goals for the year? They're not all gonna agree. Like right now I'm doing my ukulele unit with my sixth graders and some of them love it and some of them think it's boring. And they're telling, they're like, I think this is kind of boring, miss. And that's part of me trying to give them more. Once we learn more songs, I'll be able to let them kind of choose their own ukulele adventure. But right now we're like literally on day two. So, you yeah. know, I'm like, just hang with me. <laughs> I promise you'll get a chance to like have some choices, but just to recognize that some kids love Love certain things and some kids don't and that's just the nature of the beast too and you can't exactly. get all bent out of shape that oh this one kid doesn't like what we're doing you know it's no it's, yeah yeah and i and i really i i'm totally with you that there's going to be times when you just can't please everybody right and you're really not there to please everybody so right. i mean i guess that's <laughs> so. more of my could I persona coming out is that, you know, we have things that we really do want to learn. Of course, I want it to be engaging. Of course, I want them to love it. And generally, most of them do. But you do have to take them into consideration, but you don't have to hand it over. And I think that sometimes younger teachers tend to be like, well, I want them to like music. So I'm just going to ask them what they want to do. And that is okay. As long as it's within a structure, like I, yeah. I'm not a believer of open-ended what do you want to do? But I love choices. Like, okay, here's a menu of four different things. Like you said, choose your own adventure, mm -hmm. right? So um, with all that being said, both Carrie and I have found that, especially in the second half of the year with older students, that we're working from a place of thinking about units focused on specific musical themes or instruments instead of a um, Kodai traditional PPP, every single lesson is building towards a concept. So especially with fifth graders, I'm thinking about um, at this point, I will be getting those musical concepts in, but it's going to be through things like drumming, which we'll talk about in, in detail or 
ukulele or keyboards. Like we're going to be applying things to instruments so that we really understand that relationship and that it's valued, right? Because by fifth grade, these kids are getting a little bit, if they're going to middle school from fifth to sixth or six, if you have like Carrie does sixth grade elementary school, they're getting antsy. They're, they're looking around and they're saying, you know what? I don't think I'm an elementary student. This is not working for me right. because that's, that's the age. It's appropriate for them to say and be thinking developmentally. This is not, I, I'm not wanting to please all my teachers. This, right. I want to fulfill my own interests first. Yeah. So in that vein, we're going to talk about different units. And when I think about a unit, I think of four to eight lessons that are really getting deeper within one thing. And I'm thinking specifically about instruments like drumming. Yeah. Yeah. So shall we talk about, we're going to throw a bunch of different units Mm -hmm. out and talk about how we would shape these. um, And then talk about some other little things to consider about older students. Yeah. Yeah. And I think again, just getting to the heart of like, this gets away from the traditional code I practice and that's okay, especially in, in given the, the, the realities of the pandemic that, you know, my fifth graders haven't learned all the rhythms I've wanted them to learn by this point. And they haven't learned, you know, the full diatonic scale and, oh, is it okay that I'm sending them to middle school and they don't know six, eight meter and they don't know. Yes, it's okay. Because also the reality is the students who choose to do the electives for music in middle school, they're going to get all that theoretical knowledge while they're learning their instrument. Sometimes not the same way that I want them to, to be quite honest, you know, if they're going to start with whole notes and quarter notes and eighth notes and, and ABC letters. But the point is like, I'm not, I'm not going to take on that responsibility of, oh my gosh, if they haven't learned the full musical gamut of specifically rhythmic and melodic concepts, I failed them. Like I need to let that go. (laughs) And I know a lot of us are feeling that way, especially at this mid-year point where you kind of reevaluate your your yearly plans. If your students have not learned all the things you wanted them to learn before they fly away to middle school, it's okay. Because really what it comes down to is we just want them to, you know, yes, have some musical understanding of course, build a musical vocabulary, but more importantly, we want them just to enjoy music making, especially this time of year, and especially given what's going on in our world right now. So 100% emphasize it one more time. (laughs) And yeah, and and it's not even like a, um, at this point of the year thing, I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, my number one goal in teaching music to anybody, any developmental level, any age, is that they come away loving music. Yep. and loving active music making. Yes. And they want more in their life, whether that's from a consumer point of view or from a, um, I want to play an ensemble. I want to sing. I want to sing in the shower. I want to sing to my babies. Whatever that is, I want them to love music more than I want them to understand six, eight time. Yeah. Exactly. Because that will come if they are loving music, they're going to encounter six, eight time. And, you know, learn about that's it. fun. They'll learn about it. All right. So all that said. Yeah, moving on. Sorry. No, it's all good. It's just like, yeah, I think that this this part of this Kodai um, overline, and it's nobody's, there's no Kodai police, mm-hmm. not really, but it, it's, it's just this overlying Kodai, I think, attitude that a lot of us have that we're very much into the sequential learning of these concepts and then to not get it done feels initially like, oh no, I'm failing. 
Right. Right. But it's not about that. The kids, no. we want the kids to love music. Okay. Yes. So let's talk about some of these units. Yeah. Let's start with drumming. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I know you have some, you know, tubanos and like quote unquote world music drums, like the Remos I do as well. Um, I, I like to do drumming towards the beginning of the year personally, but this is definitely something you could do any time of the year. And, you know, again, do you want to relate it to rhythmic concepts and have them reading and performing rhythms that you're showing them? Or are you going to do things more from an oral tradition? Totally up to you how you want to stylize that. But there's something just lovely about that group drum right sitting in a circle and playing together yes yes I'm a big fan of uh, group drumming as well and um, I have done it in the beginning of the year but the last couple of years I have done it well you know pandemic years um, I've kind of abandoned it but I'm going to get yeah. back to doing it and I think the perfect time what I've set forth in my plans going forward is that it's going to happen pretty much right after spring break that right. we're going to be doing some drumming. Um, and at my primary school, the school that I am there for two thirds of the time, every year I've purchased one or two more drums mm -hmm. and worked towards a classroom set. So I have, you know, a fair amount of tubanos, a fair amount of djembe's, um, I have two cajones, who, which I love, love, love. I want more cajones. Um, and then I have some auxiliary percussion, right? So I have like agogo bell, um, a couple of Goncobi bells. And um, it's just wonderful for us to be in a circle and playing together, but also playing, layering even very, very simple parts together. And there's lots of approaches to this. Um, I wanted to, and I didn't even write this down in our notes, but I wanted to give out to a shout out to Kalani. Mm -hmm. um, he is amazing. Go on YouTube and look up Kalani world music drumming. Um, I think what he puts out is just wonderful. And one of the reasons I really appreciate him as a teacher of music teachers is that he always makes sure to tell us this instrument specifically comes from Ghana. Mm -hmm. This rhythm specifically comes from, oh, a lot of different places. But I have in past the past few years got tried to get away from this idea of world music drumming. Yes. Because the world's a big place. Yeah. And I think that we owe it to ourselves to really edu educate ourselves on what we're playing and where it's from, whether it be the instrument or the specific rhythm. Mm -hmm. If it comes from a specific area, whether it be a country, a continent, a village, we really should know that and we should pass that on. Right. We need to honor these traditions that come from other parts of the world for the sake of that that's due credit. But also we really want to pass on to our students that it's not enough to say this comes from Africa. Mm -hmm. We want to go deeper. It's more meaningful and they should know, they should know. And yeah. I think it also emphasizes this idea of where you're a citizen of the world. And if you get some information about a place, it, you should really zone in and exactly what it, you know, what, what is that place? Right. Not just a, not just world. So I yeah. know that there are world music drumming um, manuals that I have. Yeah. Right. And that's and all fine and good. And some of it has been created by like Will Schmidt, who's, mm -hmm. who's wonderful. 
Um, but I think we owe it to ourselves and our students to really find out something even like son clave rhythm, right? Yeah. You can tell your students the history of a son clave river, rhythm. And you can also have that as a launching point into musics of different parts in South America. I mean, that's a sure. wonderful thing you could do with your students. So I am making sure that when we're doing some drumming together, if it's not something that was created by somebody, I want to say, ooh, this tradition of drumming using the talking drum comes from here, right? Yeah. And that's an example that I didn't have the specifics on. I just pulled that out, sorry. No, that's fine. Yeah, and you're right. Like I, I've used the World Music Drumming book, but I don't call it that with my students. Like I don't say we're going to be doing a unit on World Music Drumming. I just call it group drumming. I just that's yes. just what I call it for my students and myself. The resources themselves are great as long as you make sure you look at that background information. Which yeah, Kalani is great, and the World Music Drumming book actually does have a good fair amount of background information in it. Just make sure you're sharing that with your students too. Yes. Oh, and you know um, about that World Music drumming book um when you get it from Hal Leonard there's videos that are attached you know yeah. you type in a code and the videos he has where he talks about low and high sounds mm -hmm. um that's that's wonderful stuff um and and good to show to your students too totally yeah yeah and then along this lines too if you can't afford or don't have access to quote unquote world music drums you know like we're thinking of remo tubanos especially those kind of things you know bucket drums are out there i know some people have love hate bucket drum relationships i will say i got a set of bucket drums for my traveling school because they don't have drums at that school and what i didn't want to do was drag all of my drums from my home school to my traveling school and what i also didn't want to do was write a whole new set of lesson plans so basically i took the songs and and the pieces that we were doing which were not i wasn't necessarily doing traditional pieces here they're more just like rhythm ensemble kind of things and basically rewrote you know the exact same things but for bucket drums and just a little aside i did get like the little pencil grippers for the tops of my sticks i just use dowel rods and those pencil grippers really do help muffle the sound if you're worried about sound um we didn't do it for a ton of lessons but we did a few and then there are tons of youtube play alongs too with bucket drumming pieces that they were like there was a we will rock you one i'll link it in the show notes it's just very simple but they loved it you know um and again, it's just getting them doing active music making at this point. Um, and it wasn't super like authentic pieces that we were doing, but that's okay. Cause I wasn't trying to go there with them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I have not done bucket drumming and you and I were having this conversation because I did drag all of my drums from one school to another. And I'm kind of over it after two years of doing that because yeah. it's, a, it's lot a lot of, of, it's a lot of physical work. Um, yeah. I was telling Carrie that it was like seven trips back and forth from my car to the school, from my car to the school on one end and then driving and then from my car to the school, like, oh my goodness. Um, yeah. So I don't know what I'm going to do with my second school. There's a number of drums, but there's not a class set. I'm going to figure it out. The problem is the floor is not carpeted right. at my second school. And oh my goodness, I can't imagine like the bucket drumming on the, uh, I guess, people put down carpets. I guess you could get carpet squares, you could get pads. By the time you do all that, you might as well just, I don't know, Try get, some get some real drums. I, I'm not, 
I'm not convinced well, that I want to do that. I mean, like you said, even with the smaller amount of drums, you can build up the ensemble with other auxiliary percussion or just yeah. having a group of kids singing while other kids are doing the drums and then just trading off and on, right? I know. So I know you're it's right. Not as fun, but yeah, and it is like it is kind of like a whole nother set of lesson plans if you have to make those adjustments, but yeah. Oh well. Okay. All right. Another idea for a unit, Tanya. You wanted to talk about music history but through pop music. Tell us more about that. Well, I noticed um, in the past year, our, I don't know, our COVID year, the 2020-2021 school year, um, where I know that all the music teachers in our district, we were all saying, okay, we're not gonna sing. We're not gonna make circles. We're not gonna face each other. We're not gonna take hands. That was kind of like my rules and I was just working around that. So because of all of that, I was bringing in a lot more music appreciation type of lessons right. where we were listening and we were going a little bit deeper into here's this musician and here's where they're from and here's about the country and this is why the video of them performing looks like this and this is why they're using these instruments and I have not, I can't really speak very uh, in depth about this, but what I kept coming up against, not up against, but what I noticed was that, you know, there's so many of these, like, just let's just take rhythms that have been used in rock music and then kind of filtered into pop music. And wouldn't that be a fun way to go about um, teaching some music appreciation, music history is taking some uh, music that they are familiar with. Like you mentioned, did you mention We Will Rock You? Yeah. yeah. So, and I'm just using this in, as an example, I'm not flushed out, but like going towards something like We Will Rock You, maybe even going and looking at the meter and then connecting it to other musics and looking at music history. I mean, you'd have to like zone into like history of rock and roll, right? Yeah. From pop music would be super, super easy. Um, but you could even go further. And I mentioned the stone clave rhythm right. or oh, what about the Bo Diddley rhythm that that, 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 that was used in rock music. And mm -hmm. we could talk about why it's called that and show lots of examples in songs. This would take a lot more planning. Yeah, of course. But I know that there are some good resources out there. Um, I can't talk about any specific that I know about, but um, you know, I've seen things on TPT that I've not purchased. Um, but it, if you have a passion for that, that could well, even, be a fun thing. Yeah. Even just the concept of sampling from, you know, hip hop music, um, you know, being able to trace the sample of where it came from, from, mm -hmm. you know, 1970s disco or whatever. And then you take that sample and then, you know, the connection between the two songs, that would be just a really fun thing for kids to see too. Right. And that could definitely engage older students. So I'm thinking, because you just mentioned it, um, the song Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio. Uh-huh. Right. So with my middle schoolers, once upon a time when I had middle schoolers, um, they I had a stations day where they were going around the room and one was a listening station where they were listening to Stevie Wonder's part-time paradise because the sample. Mm -hmm. And the groove that is used in Gangster's Paradise, which all my students knew, mm -hmm. was taken directly from Stevie Wonder. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. There's like yeah. a great example of where you can go with that. Yeah, totally. It's a great idea. 
All right, so some other units, getting back to more instrumental stuff. Obviously, ukulele is something Tanya and I, we've both talked about on this podcast. We have fully embraced ukuleles in our classroom. I was hesitant yeah. for a while with ukulele. I was too, just because um, I don't know the instrument, but yeah. now I, I do a little bit. I'm by no means awesome, Yeah, but yeah. And this is a specific example. I mean, I was just having a conversation with a, with an old college undergrad friend. We were, we were collaborating and talking about ukulele. Shout out Erin, if you're listening. Um, and cause she's just doing an ukulele unit for the first time. And, you know, we were having this exact conversation of like, in my head, when I first wanted to, you know, do ukuleles, it's like, oh, well, we can talk about chord structures and relate that to solfege and then relate that to 12 bar blues and relate that to all this stuff. And then I want to get into songwriting. The reality is they're not there theoretically. My kids haven't learned enough about chord structures because we haven't learned fa. So learning about the four chord without learning fa doesn't really make a lot of sense. So at the end of the day, do we really understand the chord structures and how that works? No. <laughs> but are we loving playing along with different videos and exploring the different chords and what they sound like? Yes. And we're, we're accompanying ourselves just by me saying, okay, C chord here, G chord here. Even if they don't know theoretically what's going on, they're still hearing it and experiencing experiencing it and hopefully enjoying it, right? Yeah, but also the beautiful thing about the Kodai process is that the older kids, you can go much faster yes. as with a concept. So you were just talking about fa. So maybe your way towards fa could be just that experience with the four chord, right? Yeah. Because in that kind of PPP model, it's not like you have to have four or five songs with fa necessarily because at their age, they can grasp onto this and they don't need as much steeping in fa land right. as they would if they were in third grade. Right. Exactly. But I, I be, I'll be honest, I'm just not even going there right now. We're just playing, <laughs> we're just playing chords and I don't even know if I will go there, you know, yeah, but it could be a teachable moment. If you had a student who would be like, Hmm, what about this four chord? Like what, yeah. what's going on with that? And, and I That's mean, I've had happening. moments. Yeah. I've had moments like that with 12 bar blues where a kid will say, Hmm, what about that tiny little seven above the Roman numeral? I'm like, well, okay. Yeah, let's talk a little bit, a little that bit. That doesn't mean that someday that's not still my goal. I mean, and really, again, the end goal for me, especially because I do have sixth graders, is I really want to get into songwriting with them. I want them to be able to embrace songwriting uh, as as a mode for creativity and self-expression. And, you know, there's so much they have to know before they get to that point in a way that it seems daunting. But this is also me just needing to break it down and scaffold it more. So I'm well, I spell a fantastic topic in the way future for our podcast because I've not done a lot of songwriting stuff at all. Yeah. So maybe, so maybe we need to have this a needs to be like a challenge. You and I are going to challenge each other to do it. So then we can talk about it. And then we have an episode where we talk about songwriting. Exactly. That would be awesome. Yeah. yeah I want to listen to that episode that doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else you wanted to mention about ukulele? <laughs> no, we just, it's so much fun and yeah. uh, I'm doing it right now with the fifth graders and it just feels like it was, it's been a lot of starting and stopping because through Thanksgiving and Christmas and going back and forth between schools. And it, it just, it just feels like it's taken a while for us to really get into it. And yeah. Yeah. yeah this is going to be my unit for the foreseeable future with, with sixth grade. And then I'm going to bring it back for fifth grade later in the year. Um, and then I also mentioned, I mean, if you have them, I do have a, a, like 12 guitars at my homeschool. Um, and I used to do guitar as a unit, but I got away from it 
number one, COVID, because I didn't have enough for everybody. So we would share back and forth, um, which was good to have them partnered up and sharing because it gave their fingers a break. (laughs) Um, So number one, that was kind of a pain. But then number two, it is just so much bigger and harder to play. And I have, I'm pretty sure they're full-size guitars. They're just too big for the students. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've gotten away from guitars and I've just been doing ukulele. Um, I might bring back guitars at some point in the, in the future, depending on the size of the class, but um, I have enough ukuleles for everybody and they're easier to play. So I just am going with that for now. Yes. Awesome. I've only ever had like three or four guitars in a building. I've done guitar club before, which was great. And that's Uh, why they were purchased at my school was there was a guitar club before I had gotten there. And I was like, well, I'm going to use them in the regular classroom. Um, And if I had smaller classes, I could, but just right now it's not working. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then both Tanya and I do a keyboard unit, right? I, I didn't last year. Um, well, actually, I like I, I did do some keyboards. Um, I, I don't know if I've, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast that I got those, you know, flexible rolly uppy keyboards. Yes. Um, I'm kind of kicking myself because I did get the full size ones. And once you unroll them, they are huge. <laughs> so they take up a lot of space and I don't really have table services to put them. So um, they end up sitting on the floor, which isn't great for posture and for good technique. But really for me, my keyboard unit is more about exploring like again, how theoretically you want to get is up to you, but exploring both treble clef and bass clef, um, exploring things melodically, but also harmonically. Um, Last year, I decided to use the Little Kids Rock videos, which I like, but it's a lot of just like, here, play this chord, here, play this chord. And when I do keyboard, I do want to do a little bit more theory with them, um, because I just think it's a great vehicle for it. So I just generally end up kind of creating my own resource for it. But um. Yeah, I haven't exactly wrapped my head around how I'm going to use them this year, but I have 12 keyboards, so I have enough for, you know, students to partner up and pair up, or I might do it more like a stations kind of thing where half of them are doing the keyboard while half of them are doing something else and switch halfway through. Um, I've done it that way before, too. Um, I'll let you talk, Tanya, because I know you've done a lot of keyboard stuff, too. I have. um, Keyboards and drums are something at my uh, homeschool that I've been collecting over the years. So every year my priority has been like, okay, I'm going to get whatever drums I can get. I'm going to get one more keyboard. So Mm -hmm. I've worked um, by getting those keyboards so that I have a full classroom set, which means every kid has a keyboard because I have in the past done two kids sitting at a keyboard and it's okay, but I'm not a huge fan because I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be in a practice room with somebody else right there playing their own thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really want to give them the autonomy. Uh, and I have a wonderful set of keyboard introductory books. Um, I cannot recommend them because I'm positive they're out of print and I don't even know where they came from. They were in the school when I got there and I got there in 1998 people. So (laughs) I'm sorry, these books, I think they were out of print before I got to the school, but I've got a class set of them that I've had forever. And they're just wonderful, independent, like play all the black, play all the black key twins, the sets of two, play all the triplets, sets of three, and now play high and now play low. And now it really steps them through it very well. And I love using these books for beginner, beginner, beginners. And then I, they're leveled. So I have a set of these like introductory to keyboard and by 10 pages in they're playing melodies and they're of folk songs that we've already done. They're very Mm -hmm. simple folk songs. It adds chords and it even has adds chord, um, 
uh, symbols, which I, I love for them to start getting used to yeah. where they're playing like the bass of the one chord and then in the right hand playing the melody. Anyway, there's like three different levels that I have of these class sets of books. And it's like an independent study where if I have a kid that's played piano and taken lessons, then I say, okay, well, let's try you in book two. And they go and they try and see, okay, do they need to go up a level? And I'm just very lucky that I have these books yeah. because, um, and I have done some of the little kids rock play along, which are good, but I think with keyboard, everyone's in such a different spot that they really need to be autonomous about it. Yeah. And even when I've had challenging classes of kids who are like, I don't want to do anything. Yeah, I hate music, blah, blah, blah. Even when I've had those kinds of kids, when it comes to keyboards and if I hand them like one of these, they pretty much do stay on track Yeah, because of they're only competing against themselves. Mm -hmm. It, it also comes at a time. Cause I do this also after spring break. Um, it comes at a time where they want some alone time yeah. to really focus on something. Yep. And for the most part, I haven't had kids who get off task with this. So yeah. I'm well, a big I've fan. done really successful keyboard units in the past when I kind of had it down to a science. I did like a, a three station. It was kind of like a workshop model where like I would do a mini lesson with all of them, like introducing the new song, kind of showing them how it was going to go. And then we would do like a workshop model kind of thing where then they would have independent work time in three different areas. One of them was practicing keyboards for 10 minutes. One of them was doing some sort of theoretical worksheet that matched what we were doing, whatever concept it was. And then the third one was, um, you know, the old music ace software. <laughs> love oh music gosh, ace software. I love music ace. It still works on my computer and on oh, my smartboard. I'm, I'm so lucky. I miss it. So as a group, they would do one of the games or one of the lessons on music ace that again related to whether it was treble clef or bass clef or identifying letters on the keys. And then through this process, they would rotate through these three things. And then as they learn songs, they would then play them for me. Um, and then it was kind of like the karate thing. I called it keyboard karate, where I just had these giant colorful posters on the wall. And so for every song they learned, they would just sign their name to the poster. And I just said, oh. this is the white belt song. This is the yellow belt song. And then at the end of the year, like I had certain prize points. So like if they got to the orange belt is the third one right then I had gave them at the end of the year like a mechanical pencil and then if they got there were like three prize points and then the kids who got all the way to black belt they got like a little frisbee or something silly like that oh, wow almost summer so that worked really well for my kids too just to give them a little bit of external motivation I mean I agree with what you're saying a lot of the kids just loved it because they just loved it but um you know giving them a little bit of extrinsic is that the word motivation where they're working for something tangible. That's not bad either. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. And I don't, that's a, I don't know why I haven't done that because I don't think we're going to be doing recorders this year again. Right. Well, and that's why it worked so well because I always did recorder in fourth grade and then piano in fifth grade. And so they understood the concept of the karate thing and it wasn't about tying little belts or to their fingers or whatever, <laughs> anything like that. But it, they would just sign their name to a piece of paper and they just, they thought that was pretty cool. So that's um, really cool. yeah, it worked really well. I kind of missed that model and I hope to maybe bring that back this year. We'll see. Haven't wrapped my head yeah. around it yet. But. Well, speaking of, cause I, I just changed the order. I don't know if you noticed, but um, talking about tech stuff like Soundtrap, like yes. Band Lab, like even Chrome Music Lab. Um, one thing I wanted to mention is that if you do some specific 
tech things on Chromebooks or iPads. It's a great, um, it's very useful to divide your class in half if you don't have enough drums or keyboards or ukuleles or guitars. Let's say you only have 10 of something and you have a class of, of 30. Something that is really helpful is that you could have them be working on, let's say, a soundtrack composition where day one, you show the entire class. Okay, here's what you're going to be doing in the soundtrack. X, do this, set up the template, or here's your template. You need to add this, 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 this. This project's going to take you um, at least three or four class periods. And then what you do is over those class periods, you rotate them. Okay, today you're going to be on your soundtrack project. And this group is going to be playing keyboards. And then this group is going to be, I don't know, doing something else, maybe even something else on their Chromebooks, if you're one-to-one -one Chromebooks, where you're going to be exploring like Beepbox or something, mm -hmm. um, where it's an exploration. And that could be a way that you can still utilize those instruments and have them experience like keyboards, but still be able to, you know, do a lot of different things. And yeah. And I'm thinking for attention spans also like, okay, day one, I'm really working on my soundtrack project. Day two, I'm focused on keyboards. And then the third day, maybe you get more of a relaxing time where you're just exploring one of these music tech um, composition sites. Yeah. So it's kind of like stations, but mega stations in that like yes. they do one thing for one whole day, but then the next time you see them, they do something different, right? Mega stations. I like it. <laughs> well, I think it works really well for people who are in situations like us where you're on like a one week rotation or even a three day rotation where you see the same kids multiple days in a row and then you mm -hmm. don't see them again for a while. I think that would work really well for that where like, you know, Monday you do like your mini lesson, Tuesday they're going to do their stations, Wednesday, Thursday. Thursday and then Friday is like a wrap up day, right? Where you come back together and do something together. Oh yeah. And you know, the, the thing about doing something like this is that you really have to pre-plan oh, a yeah. lot, a lot and like yeah. know exactly where, who's going where on what day so that, that no one gets confused. And so you mm -hmm. can say, Oh no, I'm looking at my Idokio seating chart and I know today's your keyboard day. Right. So you can do that. Yeah. Um, and also I think it's always a good idea when you're doing any kind of um, on the Chromebook project that lasts for a while that you have little videos, mm -hmm. you know, screencast videos. Uh, I just did one, a really short one for my kids who I just asked them to do something within Google slides. And I made a little video. I'm like, okay, we went through it as a class, but if you can't remember reference this video, because I take you through it one step at a time. Right. Yeah. And if you are lucky like us to have Soundtrap subscription in your school and you're looking for specific project ideas, I just want to give out shout out to Jessica at the Afternoon Tea podcast. Oh, yeah. She has done a couple of episodes because she teaches middle schoolers and she's done a couple episodes about Soundtrap projects that have been really helpful to me. Yes. Oh, and she goes into depth and I love yeah that she gives us those details. Yeah. So we'll link to all of those specific episodes in the show notes because they're all really fantastic. And if you don't, yes. you, you might have to pare it down for elementary, but still, because it's, she teaches middle schoolers, it's just a great launching off point. So, right. So that kind of, I mean, doesn't cover all the tech things you can do because that could be a whole other episode. And maybe a lot of you are tired of all the extra tech and I get <laughs> that too. Um, but I really wanted to kind of like bring it all to a close and talk about like ensemble work in the context of 
when we've had a unit on keyboards, unit on drums, a unit on whatever, that give your kids a chance to specialize and play within an ensemble, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking towards the end of the year with my fifth graders who are going to play a song at their continuation, right? I'm not sure what the song is yet, but I do know that I'm going to see, okay, who wants to sing and do these very simple motions, dance type of thing? Who wants to play percussion for the piece? Who wants to be on ukulele, right? Of course, we can add in ORF instruments easily. So this is a time where you could bring in this ensemble work mm -hmm. with whatever you have. Yeah. And we all also wanted to mention that within all these units, we haven't abandoned doing singing games, singing ch or chants, games with the students because even the older students love those and appreciate those. And so we're just going to give you a laundry list of some of the kids, our kids, favorite um, singing games or chants or games. We will have the notation in the show notes. You probably can also find within YouTube or elsewhere some demonstrations of these. But if you're seriously interested and you live in Colorado, then you should come to CMEA and see our session we will be demonstrating a lot of these games and how you can even go further with the pedagogy. But these are great for icebreaker at the beginning of a class, maybe at the very end of a class. And it just also brings us back to these singing games, community music making without instruments. All yeah. right, so we're gonna list them and I will not break into song. Tarzan the Monkey Man. Yes, Yetupdaram. Uh, Pirate's Gold, a.k.a. Peg Leg, composed by Judith, Judith Crean from her 30 thematic singing games from Lower Primary, a book that I think is only avail available in Australia, um, but you can find Pirate's Gold, but you might have to look under Peg Leg, but it's in the show notes, so there you go. There you go. Uh, yeah. Double, double this, this, double, double that, that. Oh, Mashu. <laughs> Our old sow is a great one, especially when the weather's nice. If you can go outside and play that outside, they love it outside. It's a chase game. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. little Sally Walker, which is a huge hit with almost everybody I do it with. But when I'm not singing, I'm not going into details. Yeah. <laughs> and all of those songs, again, can be found in our show notes. If you go to musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com and then click on show notes, um, you'll see the most recent episode this one if you're listening in real time um, or just look for episode 104. If you're not, um, all of the game directions and notations will be there. So now we'd like to go into our segment we call Know Better, Do Better, where we talk about specific repertoire or practices that we have learned more about and have just decided to rethink or replace or whatever it might be. So, Tanya, what would you like to talk about today? Okay. Well, first of all, I want to preface this with these are things that were brought up by Dr. Rachel Gibson at a Rocky workshop that happened I don't know when it happened. Anyway, Rocky, the regional organization. In the fall. Of it was in the fall of 20. Colorado Code Educators. Yes, it was in the fall. So Dr. Rachel Gibson, um, who, if you have an opportunity to see her present, and I think she is presenting at Oak this year. Yes, yeah, um, That you should, you should see her present because she has a publication that just came out 
with songs from Nicaragua, um, in Guatemala. Guatemala. Yes, it's all Nicaragua and Guatemala folk songs. And what I really enjoyed about her presentation, and I know that she does this in all of her presentations, is that she really makes sure that she gives credit to where she has collected these songs because they're there's it's a little scratchy as far as this idea of folk song collecting from other parts of the world we want to learn these songs but we also want to uplift the communities that these songs came from so we want to make sure that um, we are giving credit where credit is due and it's always appropriate to give um like some uh economic funds to people who we gather these songs from right yeah. so this idea of ethnomusicology we really are, are understanding from a modern lens that it's not just about taking these music from other people and then exploiting it right, right? so rachel gibson does a fantastic job of explaining all of these ins and outs that maybe we don't think about just because we haven't confronted the issues of when we're doing music from another place, how should we approach it and how should we be thinking about it? And are we exploiting anybody? Are we culturally appropriating anybody's music? Right. Well, and I want so, to interject too that I think it's very problematic when it comes to Spanish language songs because yes. Spanish language can come from oh so many places and cultures in the world. And sometimes I will see, you know, on social media, people are like, oh, I just want some quote unquote Spanish folk songs. But what I think they're asking for are songs in Spanish to work with their ELL students, which is great, but you can't say Spanish folk songs because that's songs from Spain. So do you hey. want songs from Spain? Do you want songs from Mexico? Do you want yeah, songs from Guatemala? Or where are you these You are songs? reading my notes. Carrie, you're taking my notes. <laughs> oh, I'm okay. sorry. I'll be quiet. I'll let you talk. That's just, that's no, just but, something I see a lot that I'm like, what do you mean by this? Can you explain more? Exactly. Yourself? Well, and she, so she alerted, she was talking about some things that kind of like went in my brain. And I was like, oh no, I've done this, right? Where I've talked about the, a Spanish song. So Spanish refers to a geography from Spain, right? Yeah. So if we're talking about a, fan, a Spanish folk song, then really you're talking about a song from Spain, right? right? But songs in the Spanish language, you really have to um, drill down into exactly where is that from? Like yes. it could be, right. And so what I wanted to really zone in on are terms that we use that we don't think about that uh, are not specific enough and that I want to clean up in my language, especially when talking to students about music from different cultures, right? So um, let's just really talk about the term America or American, mm -hmm. because um, Rachel Gibson was talking about how when she was in Guatemala, when she was in Nicaragua, um, she got away from saying um, I'm American because people in Central America are American. People in South America are American. And so that if you were to say that when you are in Guatemala, they'll look at you and go, well, I'm American too, right? So it's really more precise to say I'm from the United States. Yes. I'm from Colorado in the United States, right? So this is something that I hadn't really thought about. And it just 
really started me thinking about all the terms that we use. And like you were just saying how I really want to be specific that if I'm introducing a song that is in the Spanish language, it's not enough for me to say, oh, what do you think kids? What language is this? Spanish, all right, and now we'll move on. Really, we wanna not just point out the geography, but maybe also a tiny little bit of time talking about, okay, well, this song is from Guatemala. They speak Spanish, here's why. A little mm -hmm. bit like talking about, and then you're talking about colonization. And you don't have to get political. You don't have to go into great detail, but we can talk about, like I had a conversation the other day, um, we're learning a song in Portuguese. And my fifth graders are like, well, then it's from Portugal. I'm like, well, actually this is from Brazil, right? So I this is a Brazilian song. They speak Portuguese. Here's why, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just always worth really investigating our own language and making sure when we're talking about regions and cultures that we're using terminology that is not whitewashed terminology. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So specifically, I was thinking about the term I'm American. I'm from America. I'm from the United States. And this is what I got to really just remind myself of when talking about music to students and specific songs from specific regions. Yeah. Great reminder. Thank you. And now time for our work smarter, not harder teacher tip straight from Carrie from the tech world. Yeah. So this is related to my earlier story about Chrome Music Lab with primary students. And I just have to say, I was planning on talking about this because it's something I actually did in my class and I was excited to share it. Um, and then I was listening last night to the fabulous podcast, uh, Music Tech Teacher Podcast by Katie Wardrobe. Which is so funny because I was telling you that I was listening to it yesterday yeah. afternoon too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Katie does a fabulous job talking about specific technology. I've learned so much from her, especially during the pandemic. Yes. But I, I laughed out loud because she started her show talking about this exact same tip I'm going to share with you right now. So I'm still going to do it um, because I was planning <laughs> on doing it. But I just also wanted to give a shout out to Katie. Thanks for mentioning this. And if you're not listening to um, the Music Tech Teacher podcast, you really should be because <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. It's great. So um, this is all about QR codes. We, we love QR codes. They're all over the place nowadays, right? But, um, you know, something that I wanted to do, so specifically, again, talking about my primary students, they've got iPads. I wanted to get them on Chrome Music Lab. In the past, I would drop a link in their Seesaw. So then they would log into Seesaw go to the link and that would take them to Chrome Music Lab. Nothing wrong with that, that's fine. But I haven't gotten them on Seesaw yet this year in my classroom because like I said earlier, I was kind of just avoiding technology. Plus it wasn't logistically easy for them to bring their iPads to music. So all that to say, I have Seesaw classes set up but we haven't actually practiced logging into Seesaw. And I was like, I don't wanna waste time with that. So I remembered and discovered that in Chrome, like Google Chrome, the browser, you can create a QR code for any website right then and there, poof, boom, display it and go. So I'm looking at my Google Chrome right now so I can kind of walk you through it. Up in the address bar of your Google Chrome, after the address, there's the little share button, which is like the square with the arrow pointing up. If you click on that little share button, you will get copy link as your first thing, but what you want is the second choice 
device, which is QR code. You click it and boom, it displays a QR code that then your students, if they're on a device that has a QR code scanner, can scan the code and it'll take them directly to the website. So on an iPad, they actually do this through the camera app. So it was very cute because I was like, open your camera app and scan this code. And very predictably, what did they do? They opened it and they started taking pictures of the QR code. So I'm sure all of them now on their iPads have a bunch of pictures of this QR code. Can so I, I interrupt you for a second, Carrie, yeah. and make sure, because I'm doing this as you say it, and I think I, I mean, I've done this, um, you're talking about in the browser bar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't have the little arrow you were talking about, but I oh. do have a little like scan the QR code and there's the little dinosaur in the yes. middle of the Yeah, it probably yeah. depends on the version of Chrome. You're right. So yeah, right now on my Mac, I have this little share button, but I remember on my work laptop, I didn't. It just had an option that said scan QR code. So either way, it's going to work. So yeah, all they have to do is open up the camera. If they're on like an iPad, all they do is open up the camera and they scan it and then it'll take them to that website through their browser which on an iPad is usually Safari. I believe Chromebooks can do the same thing. You can scan a QR code and then it'll take you to that website. So what I loved about this was we could go directly to it. We didn't have to mess with Seesaw. And so I opened up SongMaker and I gave them specifically the QR code to SongMaker and we went there first for five minutes. Then I opened up the little rhythm activity with the little animals, gave them that QR code. So we actually got the practice of scanning the QR codes like three or four times throughout the lesson. And then I gave them the QR code for the full Chrome Music Lab and then let them explore for the last 10 minutes. So I love this because it's instant. I can just display this QR code right away. You know, you used to have to go to a website, like a QR code generator website, type yes. in the address or cut and paste and Google Chrome just does it for you because yeah. thanks, Google, all things. Love and you it. can download the QR code too. So if you wanted to download it and print it or display it or whatever, put it in a different, you know, uh, app or put it in a Word document or whatever, you can do it that way too. So simple, but very effective, especially if you just want to get kids quickly to a website and not deal with having them log into something else. Yes. So cool. So now it's time for our CODA section where we give a personal or professional recommendation, something we are enjoying either in or out of the music room. So Tanya, what would you like to share? Okay, well, um, this recommendation is for a movie, also a musical that is not new at all. Um, and it's not for, I don't know how to say this. Um, it's Hedvig and the Angry Edge. Oh, yeah. Which is a musical and a movie, and it had a revival on Broadway with um, Neil Patrick Harris in the title role. And I've, uh, 2001 is when the movie came out, and I've been a big fan of this. I've seen the movie several times, I've seen the stage production twice, and I don't know if it's on Broadway currently. It might be. I haven't looked that up. But anyway, this all comes from. John Cameron Mitchell and Stephen Trask, who was the composer, and John Cameron Mitchell wrote lyrics and the story, and he's been on Broadway and also a director of several films. Um, so Hedvig and the Angry Inch is not for anyone who is uncomfortable with transgendered um, themes. Uh, 
there's some sexual trauma in the show, but it's all within a glam rock persona of the title character Hedvig, who comes from East Berlin. And I'm not going to go into the whole story. If you're interested, you should look up the storyline. I wouldn't show it to my child under 16. And I'm not even sure I would show it to my 16 year old at this point, but I love the music. And I bring this up because I'm part of this record club that meets like a book club. And this was something that I had us listen to. And it was just nice to revisit the music. I really love the music, but I'm a big fan of like David Bowie, Iggy Pop, Velvet Underground, all that glam rock stuff that maybe is foreign to many people. Um, it is a musical. If you're more on the musical side of things, maybe you want to listen to the Neil Patrick Harris version, which is very much Broadway style singing. If you like it a little grittier, like I do, John Cameron Mitchell did a fantastic recording of the movie soundtrack. So the music's awesome. The movie is awesome. Um, I think it explores themes that we don't usually hear about or see about. And I just love Hedvig and the Angry Inch. Uh, yeah, you should check it out if you're interested. It was um, eventually on Broadway. When it started, it was not even off Broadway. It was off, off Broadway because no one wanted to fund it because of the uh, different themes. It, it, it kind of looks on the surface like a drag show, but it's really sure. not. Yeah. Anyway, that's enough about that. Um, it's an oldie a goodie i guess at this point it's a noldie which is funny but uh yeah nice so i was enjoying that music but carrie what about you um i'm also going to recommend something not appropriate for children i've had to shoot <laughs> my children out of the living room multiple times watching the show but i have stumbled upon the great on hulu um ah. a, a tv series that it says it right at the beginning of the title an occasionally true story so very loosely very very loosely based on the life and story of catherine the great of russia which i really didn't know much about catherine the great so me i i'm such a like watch the show and constantly google things while i watch the show like did this really happen or how did this really happen um it's just really hilarious the the way the dialogue is written it's kind of you know old timey but not like there's tons of cursing and inappropriate. and they definitely don't speak russian i've seen like the oh, first no. episode no they all have very blatant british accents which just always makes me laugh it's like apparently now it's just britain Brit, you know british accents just equals european but um, <laughs> it works and um l fanning is the main character she is so fantastic in this role and then um her her husband peter the not peter the great because that was his dad but peter the not so great i don't know what you would call him he's um, horrible Emperor, yeah, Nicholas Holt is the actor who plays him. He is like yes. my favorite character. He's, he's great at being horrible. Yeah, he's so horrible. So, anyways, um, yeah, I'm I'm about done with the first season. I'm about to start the second season. It is just so funny. So just you know, like I said, not appropriate for children in every way possible. Language, sexual stuff, but um, hilarious, a hilarious romp through through Russia. <laughs> and I'm learning some history as I go because I Google things as I go to find out what you're so good for googling it and not just taking it at face value and go oh well, yes and it's not supposed to be i mean it's really supposed to be fiction loosely based on fact but um it's hilarious and if you have hulu um definitely watch it it's just so funny we've reached the double bar line thank you for listening to music teacher coffee talk 
Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. And if you are attending CMEA or OAKE this year, please stop by and say hello. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes or your podcast player to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee, so look for that link in our show notes and on our Facebook page. In our next episode, we'll be talking about our favorite manipulatives for the music room and how we use them. Until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya, wishing you happy musicking.